All right. Well, turn with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11, this morning we're finishing our study, at least in this chapter, by looking at verses 15 and 19. And while you're turning there, I wonder, what do you most enjoy about the month of July? Now, it's hard to believe that here in 2021, we're already in the month of July. But of course, for many of you, when you think of July, you think about today. You think about the 4th of July and looking forward to celebrating our nation's independence through uh, shooting off fireworks and through uh, enjoying time with family and with friends. But it's also become popular to celebrate what's become known as Christmas in July, right? Where uh, people sing to seek to bring the, the spirit of Christmas here into the middle of summer. But it, it's during the Christmas season that uh, it has become quite popular for people to go to a performance of Handel's Messiah. And there in Handel's Messiah, we have this classical work that moves from the singing of the promise of Christ there through the birth of Christ and finally finishes with the return of Christ. Which, as it reaches that climax in Handel's masterpiece, we come to the Hallelujah Chorus and it's there that it has become tradition to stand in respect and reverence for Christ as it is performed. But something you may not know about the Hallelujah Chorus is that Handel himself, when he finished it, was told to have, have told his servant with tears in his eyes that I did think I did see all heaven before me. And the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. And that is very much like what we find in this passage of scripture this morning in Revelation chapter 11. Because it's there in the Hallelujah Chorus that the choir joyfully sings a verse from our passage this morning. When they sing that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. May we then also respond with tears of joy in hearing these glorious truths revealed to us through this passage this morning. So it's with this in mind that let us then read together Revelation 11, verses 15 and 19. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, 
And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us again return to our Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, what a magnificent passage of Scripture you have given to us here this morning. May we then devote ourselves to hearing these truths, even as we pray that you work through your Holy Spirit so that we will not only hear your word afresh this morning, but it will very renew our very hearts and souls so that we can live with this magnificent vision of the future before us each and every day of our lives. So Lord, we pray that you will bless the preaching of your word, that it will be more than the words of your, this pastor or this preacher. But they, they will be the very words in which we rejoice because of the greatness of Christ and of your kingdom to come. But they will be clearly seen before us this morning with our eyes of faith. And so we pray for all these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, there's one prayer I have for us this morning. It's simply this, that we will rejoice in God's coming kingdom. Oh, let us rejoice in God's coming kingdom and here in this passage, we see that we can rejoice because of the arrival of God's kingdom, because of the judgment of God's kingdom, and because of the enjoyment of God's kingdom. So there is the arrival of God's kingdom in verse 15, followed by the judgment of God's kingdom in verses 16 to 18, and finally the enjoyment of God's kingdom there in verse 19. So let us begin then with the arrival of God's kingdom there in verse 15. And of course, the Apostle John here has been recording these symbolic visions of prophecy in this book to encourage Christ's churches as we struggle and suffer in this world. And so it's as he records then these trumpet judgments from God that we see how this sinful and wicked world will be judged through the plagues similar to how God had judged Egypt through their plagues as he sought to deliver his people from their slavery and bondage in Egypt. Yet between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, God presses the pause button in order to show his protection and provision of Christ's church as we carry out our mission and preach the gospel through this age. So it's through then the final week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy in the Old Testament that we can divide this age between the time of gospel mission and the time of great persecution that will come through a demonic beast which will one day rise from the pit of hell. But his success will only be temporary. And he will not stop God's plan of redemption from reaching its completion in history or 
stopping God's church from receiving resurrection life and returning with him in triumph. Which then brings us to the end of chapter 11, to the sounding of the seventh and final trumpet, where we come to the climax and the very center of the book of Revelation. You see, Revelation is likely structured as what we would call a chiasm, which you can think of as a large X, where you start from both sides and then work towards the center, recognizing the parallels that, that move inward until you reach the middle. Or you can think about this kind of literary style of writing as a sandwich, where you have layers on both sides that match as you move inward until you reach the very meat of the center. Well, here we come in Revelation to the very meat of the center of the book. Because here we've reached the various glorious center of the revelation of Jesus Christ when his kingdom is finally and fully established as the climax of all world history. And the heavens celebrate by worshiping God for the arrival of his kingdom. You see, this is why the mighty angel swore to the Apostle John in chapter 10, verse 7, that in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, listen, the mystery of God would be finished. When the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. And now, we read of this mystery of God being finished. And so in this verse... The very uh, verse 15 there, we read the angels of heaven forming a choir to cry out with loud voices an announcement of God's, of God's victory. You may remember earlier in Revelation at the opening of the seventh seal, what did the Apostle John hear? Silence. Silence in heaven for half an hour. But now, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, what is heard? The loud voices filling heaven with praise for the coming of God's kingdom. And listen to how Christ's kingdom is announced here. First, that the kingdoms of this world have come to an end. You see, we may live in a world in which different kings and governing leaders may hold authority and power. But no matter how powerful they become, or how much land they may rule over, or how long they may last, what we see here is that their reigns are only temporary. Which means that our temptations and our trials and our troubles and our tribulation will not last forever. That our struggles and our suffering will stop that our opposition and our persecution and our martyrdom that come from the world will one day come to an end. And this again brings us back then to Daniel. How many times have we seen this parallel, this working in of Daniel here in the book of Revelation, but Daniel in his vision of the seven beasts of Daniel chapter 7 we read of four kingdoms that will rise. 
And he prophesies about a final coming beast, the fourth beast in his kingdom, which will rise at the end of the age, which we saw earlier in Revelation 11, verse 7. But listen to what we read after this fourth beast rises and persecutes God's people in Daniel 7, verses 26 to 27. There we read, But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. So the kingdoms of this world will come to an end. But then we also hear from Daniel's vision of the four beasts of the kingdom, which shall come after the fourth kingdom, back in Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So let's also read there from this part of the vision. When Daniel writes that I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Do You see then how at the return of Christ, there will be a kingdom and dominion and authority that will continue forever. A new kingdom unlike any previous kingdom, but a kingdom of God that will come forever. And this is exactly then what is announced from the heavens here at the end of the age when Christ returns, as we see in chapter 11, verse 15, where God has been allowing the kingdoms of this world to exist under Satan's rule in this age. But when Christ returns, what will happen? He will take back this rule over the kingdoms for himself. And here in this heavenly announcement, we see the oneness between the God the Father and God the Son, who together with the Holy Spirit is our triune God, and they are united then in ruling over this coming kingdom. Because there we read that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now, of course, we know that Christ is already reigning in heaven, right? That's how the book of Revelation began in the very opening vision, seeing that Christ is now ruling and reigning over this world from heaven. But what is true in heaven will one day come true on earth, which is why Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God here is showing us that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why we sang this morning, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. And this coming rule of God over his kingdom 
will be eternal because he shall reign forever and ever. It will never end. Oh, what we have to look forward to when this kingdom comes, which is why you may remember when Christ was born, an angel came to his mother Mary and said in Luke verses uh, chapter 1, verses 31 to 33, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So how comforting the arrival of God's kingdom should be to our souls. We have so much to look forward to in Christ. Let us then live with this future-focused faith, not focused on the trials and the troubles and the tribulation of this world, but preserving through this present evil age while praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we pray this until Christ returns. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Because we see that the arrival of God's kingdom is coming and will come. But then secondly, we go on to see in verses 16 and 18, the judgment of God's kingdom. Now that the arrival of Christ's eternal kingdom has been announced from heaven, we return to the 24 elders who sit before God on their thrones. And we've heard about these 24 elders before, back in chapters 4 and 5, when John first sees God's heavenly throne room and the 24 elders surrounding his throne. And while there is some debate about his identity, I see these 24 elders as angels who represent God's people before him as they serve Christ's church in heaven through this age. But what will they do at the end of this age? They will worship God. They recognize that their thrones do not compare to God's throne. And so they fall down and bow to their supreme ruler who sovereignly reigns over all. They fall on their faces and bow down before their king who shall reign forever and ever. Now in chapter 4, the 24 elders worship God as the one who created and sustained this world. But now, in chapter 11, the 24 elders worship God as the one who has ended this wicked world and begun his eternal reign over the world to come. How then do these angels begin this hymn? By offering thanksgiving to God who has triumphed over the kingdoms of this world and has established his eternal kingdom. And so in their thanksgiving, they first praise him for who he is, and then they express gratitude for what he has done. So they 
They, they, they recognize and praise God as the one who is and who was and who is to come. And we've seen this threefold title of God before, right? Because God is in control of the present, he's in control of the past, and he's in control of the future. So all that happens, all that has happened, and all that will happen in human history is the outworking of God's sovereign plan of redemption. Which means that all of human history is moving forward towards this glorious end to come in Christ. These angels then give our sovereign God thanks because he has taken his great power and reigns over this world, that his kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. But with the coming of his kingdom comes, it means the coming of his judgment. His kingdom will come through judgments. This is what we have read as the nations raged against God and against Christ and his church through this age in the book of Revelation. But it's also what we have recorded for us in Daniel chapter 2. You may remember uh, Daniel, or not Daniel chapter 2, excuse me, Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2 was actually a psalm we recently began singing together as a church. But listen to Psalm 2 as a prophecy of what we see being fulfilled at the end of the age when Christ returns. This is what we read in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are those who put their trust in him so here we find in revelation the very fulfillment of what was proclaimed all those years ago in psalm 2 where the nations are angry and God's wrath comes. But there's a play on words here. You have the anger or wrath of the nations that is then met by the wrath of God. When God's judgment will finally and fully come against those who live in rebellion against him. That's why George Eldon Ladd, I think, helpfully writes here that God's kingdom can never be established so long as hostile nations are allowed to defy his rule and to oppress his people. The visitation of God's wrath is absolutely essential to the establishing of his gracious rule in this world. 
Do you see then how God's wrath will come against all those who are unrepentant and remain angry against him in sin? And the time is coming when all of the dead will rise to stand before God's throne in judgment. We can also once more turn back to Daniel, who speaks of this, who prophesies of this time in Daniel 12, verse 2. There he writes, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And in God's judgment, here in Revelation 11, we see that there will be two outcomes of this judgment. There will be reward and there will be destruction. So who will God reward? We read here that he will reward his servants, the prophets and the saints, which means that whether they are the prophetic leaders of Christ's church or the saints who make up the membership of Christ's church, all alike are his servants and will receive a reward because, he, because they have persevered in this world by their faith in Christ. Which is why God will reward all who fear his name, both small and great, which stresses that all believers in Christ are included, however small and insignificant you may feel. By believing in Christ and fearing God in reverence and awe, you will be rewarded by him when Christ returns. And what will be our reward? but deliverance through God's judgment to reign with Christ in his kingdom. What a glorious future we have to look forward to when Christ returns. But if you are not a believer in Christ, and you continue to live in rebellion against God in your sin, what will happen to you when you stand before God as your judge in the judgment to come? Well, here we read that you will be destroyed. And you'll be destroyed because you destroyed the earth in your wickedness. You see, the same word destroy is here repeated to emphasize that God's punishment is just. He is just. In, in the biblical principle of justice, this is often called lex talionis in Latin, or as you may remember from the Old Testament, when God says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, life for life. And what do we see here? Because you have destroyed the earth, you too will be destroyed. Now, this just punishment from God of destruction is further explained as Revelation continues, but it will be an eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire. So I ask all of us here this morning, and each one of you here, are you ready for the judgment of God's kingdom? Are you believing in Christ 
who in love took the punishment upon himself that we deserve as he had the very wrath of God poured out upon him through his death on the cross. So that when we believe in him, we are no longer under the wrath of God because he has taken the fullness of the wrath of God upon himself for us as our substitute. And we then in him receive his life, his resurrection life. When he raises from the dead, we too share in this life forever because we're forgiven of our sins. We're reconciled with God. We receive eternal life and are adopted as his children. then we too can worship with the very angels of heaven as we look forward to our return in Christ. But if you are living in sin, content to enjoy the pleasures of this world while you destroy it, God warns you that your destruction will come. And God's wrath will come upon you as his judgment comes. Listen, today is a day of salvation. This day of judgment has not yet come. And God's love continues to be poured out on all those who come to Christ by faith. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from God's wrath. Turn away from your sins and repentance and turn to Christ by faith. The coming of God's kingdom means the coming of God's judgment. May none of us be destroyed by his judgment, but look forward to his reward. So there is the arrival of God's kingdom on the judgment of God's kingdom. But finally, in verse 19, we come to the enjoyment of God's kingdom. You may remember that when these visions first started in chapter 4, verse 1, that we read John, who at the time wrote of his being called up to heaven. He, he said there, and after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. But now at the end of this section, the final verse here in 1119, John writes that the temple of God was open in heaven. So we begin with a door being open in heaven. And now how does it end? With the very temple of God being open in heaven. And what has happened in between? That the full number of God's chosen people are saved by Christ and become his temple. That's how this chapter began with John measuring the temple of Christ's church, which would be protected until the church's gospel mission is complete. So when his kingdom comes, the, heaven, the, the heavenly holy of holies is opened so that we will enter into the very presence of God. And remember, this is the most sacred place in the temple that we are given access to through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why we can see here the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of His Covenant that's seen in the temple. Do you remember what the Ark represented in the Old Testament? 
The ark represented the law and the gospel. Think of what was inside the ark. The two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments that recorded God's law. What was on top of the ark? But God's mercy seat. God's mercy seat in which the high priest would bring sacrificial blood to atone for sins. Do you see then how the tablets of stone symbolize God's judgment of sin through his law, while the mercy seat symbolized God's forgiveness of sin through his son? And it's through Christ's death that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies was torn into that gives us access to God's presence as his church. But now we see the day will come that this symbol of God's presence will be visible for all to see in the world to come. Now, many of you know how much of an 80s nerd I am. And so when we talk of the Ark of the Covenant, what comes to mind? But Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. In that movie, what happened? You have an archaeologist named Indiana Jones, and there in the 1930s, he is trying to find this Ark of the Covenants and beat the Nazis while doing it. Now, it's a, an exciting adventure flick. But what we find here is there's no need to search for the ark. Because whatever happened to Israel's ark, our hope is found in a greater ark of the covenant in heaven. And this heavenly ark will not merely be a golden box, but it will be the reality of what the ark symbolized, which is that God's justice will come in his destruction of sinners and his mercy will come and his rewarding of saints in Christ as we are raised to enjoy God's presence forever. But then John writes of lightnings and noises and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail that come as signs of the end of the age. And we read of these signs before showing God's sovereign majesty, for example, in chapter 4, verse 5. And then in chapter 8, verse 5, when the seventh seal is opened, these signs are heard. But now with the seventh trumpet, we read of them again before they once more appear at the seventh bowl in chapter 16, verses 18 to 21. But I want us to notice something. That... Besides the lightnings and noises and thunderings that have come before, now something is added at the end of the verse. Great hail. Great hail which emphasizes the arrival of God's judgment against the wicked when his saints will be vindicated and we will enter into our eternal home. Do you see then that when the temple of God is opened in heaven, how we will be able to enjoy God's kingdom in his presence forever? Oh, all that we have to look forward to when Christ returns and God's kingdom 
arise. May we then rejoice in God's coming kingdom. Oh, let us rejoice in God's coming kingdom. Here's the question I want to leave you with here this morning. How will you live until his kingdom comes? Because that's what God wants to reveal to us. This is our future in Christ. How then should we live until that great day? Well, you know how many choose to live? By loving the kingdoms of this world. Where our hearts become wrapped up in this life, in this world. Where we neglect or even forget that the kingdoms of this world will come to an end. We love the world and the things of this world. We foolishly live without remembering that these things are only temporary. They're fleeting. They don't last. Oh, if this is you this morning, repent. Repent of such worldliness. So we're not to love the kingdoms of this world as much as we may be tempted to. But there's another way we are not to live as we wait for the arrival of God's kingdom. And that's that we live to build God's kingdom in this world. This has become very popular today among Christians. So we have entire ministries today with something like kingdom builders. Books about how we need to be involved in the building of this kingdom. That we will somehow bring God's kingdom into this world by transforming society. The truth is, this will only lead to frustration and disappointment. Because the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ when he returns. Yes, we are given a preview of this kingdom. Yes, we are united to this kingdom, become citizens of this kingdom when we believe in Christ. But listen. That kingdom has not yet come to earth in its fullness. And our responsibility is to pray for this kingdom to come and to preach the glories of this kingdom through the gospel so that souls will be saved and added to this kingdom until the day when it comes. So let's pray for this kingdom and preach the kingdom through the gospel. But let's not strive and work to bring this kingdom into the age before Christ's return. So that's not how we are to live. How are we to live? Well, if we're not to love the kingdoms of this world and we're not to live to build God's kingdom in this world, listen, we are to long for God's coming kingdom in the world to come. We long for God's kingdom in the world to come. 
we live knowing that this world is not our home. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth who desire a better kingdom in the world to come. That's how we live. We live with our eyes on eternity, not on the earth. Which is why Christ tells us and his disciples, all of his disciples, in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 33 and 34, but seek first what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the age of troubles, of trials, of tribulation. But we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when Christ returns, we'll be rewarded. May then this joy of God's coming kingdom lead us to persevere through the troubles and trials and tribulation of this world. Listen, this is why Handel's Messiah can so move our souls. Because it expresses this glorious hope. That Christ will return to establish God's coming kingdom on the earth. So we long for the day when the heavenly angels will declare that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Again, brothers and sisters, let us live with this longing for the coming kingdom and rejoice in God's coming kingdom as we long for it until his kingdom comes. Let us pray. Oh, Father, What a beautiful and glorious picture you have given us this morning in the book of Revelation. May we not only understand the truth of the arrival of your kingdom when Christ returns, and the judgment that will come when Christ returns, and the enjoyment of your presence in the world to come. But Father, may this revive our hearts so that we will rejoice in the coming of your kingdom, and that we will live each day longing for this coming kingdom as we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, please help us to keep this eternal perspective in mind as we live our lives through this present evil age. 
where we can look forward to the day when we enter into the glory of Your presence and receive the rewards that Christ has purchased for us through His death on the cross. So, Father, we pray for these things in the name of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Amen.